And I was just looking at the, you know, the growth of the channel and realizing, you know, it's not, it, it was a bit of a gamble, but if we continued on the path we were, we would be fine. And so then the next following year, we, our income jumped from 20,000 a year, full-time YouTube to 68,000 a year. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Yo, yo, what's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of The Fi Show. And I could not be doing this show right now without my awesome co-host, Justin. What's up, man? Oh, man, Cody, those are some kind words. What I'm up to? Well, other than trying to give these people some great content for their listening pleasure, I've got a, I got a chance in a couple weeks to finally burn some of those Hilton points that I got from the house fire, no pun intended, and spent two weeks down in Hawaii. Man, that sounds like a trip of a lifetime, Justin. Oh, yeah. Travel hacking can make your dreams come true. But, Justin, we received an awesome voicemail this past week when we asked the listeners to send us in some voicemails. So let's listen to it. Hi, guys. I just heard your Christmas episode, and I really loved it. So I'm thinking about renting out my son's room because he's going to be leaving in a month or so, and I just didn't know how to tell him. I don't want to you know, hurt his feelings or anything. So I know he listens to this podcast, so I figured this would be the best way. So, Cody, I'm renting out your room. Wow, Cody. Okay, so we finally get a voicemail feature, and of course, it's your biggest fan. Uh, your mom? Like, it's one thing to get evicted, but in front of all your friends, I mean, that's, that's a little lame, man, but it's probably time you left the nest. <laughs> yeah, it kind of sucks getting kicked out of my own house, but at least I'm going to be done with my job the end of this month. I'm on the road, and... Justin, I've been to your house a few times, and you've got a few couches there. Yeah, come over anytime. You can uh, look me up on Airbnb. The rates are <laughs> posted right there. Appreciate it, man. All right, Cody, but that's enough about me and you. Um, what about this dynamic duo we got on today with Mike and Lauren? Yeah, I mean, this couple is just so inspiring and kind of a do-it-all couple. They have zero fear going into any project, just entrepreneurs from the beginning. But I can definitely not tell their story for them. So let's bring them into the show. Well, we are Mike and Lauren, and we were actually high school sweethearts. I think we met when I was 12 and started (laughs) dating when I was, I think, around 15, got married really young, embarrassingly young at this point. I was 19, and Mike turned 21 on our honeymoon, and Mike has just always been into finance. He's read all kinds of blogs and as long as I can remember, and so that kind of started our route. <laughs> yeah, I've tried to think. Unfortunately, my memory doesn't serve me because I'm trying to remember. I remember sitting, at, you know, I went to college in West Palm Beach uh, and I remember sitting at my desk and I know uh, Jacob from Early Retirement Extreme was one of the first I read, but I think it might have been even J.D. Roth at Get Rich Slowly might have been blogging before him that kind of didn't introduce me to the idea, but definitely got me excited about it, I would say. And so were both of you or either of you in some kind of corporate job that you hated at the time? Or did you just want to kind of figure out a life that you wanted to live? No, we've both, we've always been entrepreneurs. Have we ever had a desk job? No desk job, but we have been employed a couple of times. A couple of times. Yeah, (laughs) we have, we've done a, (laughs) had an interesting past. Um, But no, so we never had uh, that, that corporate life that we were just trying to escape. It was really just all about freedom from the start. Wow. And so... Usually that's not the path that people choose. Usually people want that security. They want that paycheck. So what in your earliest memories can you remember that kind of inspired that entrepreneurship and that willingness to take risks to achieve freedom? It's a good question. I don't 
I don't know if you're born with it or not because I remember my parents like to tell the story. I think was I ten or twelve <laughs> that they had business cards printed up for me that for a little snow shoveling business. I was born in Ohio, so I went door to door and did that, and then I did the lawn business thing as a as a young teenager for a while. Well, and then it was in college that you were working at Applebee's and at a beach club in West Palm Beach and just got sick of it. And that's when you decided to start the cleaning company. Yeah. So we did a commercial cleaning company and that actually took off really well. And at that point, I had dropped out of college to to manage that business. And then it's always been something a, str- a string of things <laughs> from there on out. And how about you, Lauren? What does your past look like? Well, you know, I was actually in high school when Mike started with finance and, you know, started telling me all these different things. So I was pretty young, not really doing much of anything at that point. So I was kind of starting fresh. That was all that I kind of knew. And uh, we did move up to New York City. I went to the Gemological Institute of America there, GIA. So I am a gemologist. And so I worked at Tiffany's and Saks there, which I actually, I really loved. I, I wanted to work at Tiffany's. That was my goal in moving to New York City. I wanted to work there. And then I realized that retail is retail and it's not for me forever. And so I was kind of over that. So it's, I've kind of gone along with Mike and what his latest thing is, but have something going on at the same. Right now, I actually stay home with our two kids. So it's always something a little different <laughs> So I'm actually just kind of curious because I've never heard of that before. So a gemologist, is that like a four-year degree that you go get in order to like assess gems and diamonds and all that stuff? Well, you do assess diamonds and gemstones. Um, It is actually just a six-month program. They have campuses in the U.S. in Carlsbad, California and in Manhattan. And Mike's aunt lived in um, just north of New York City. And so we decided to go there and we lived with her for six months while I went to school. And I just have always loved jewelry. I've always been interested in diamonds and stones and that. So I loved the program. I had so much fun with it. And that was really something that I enjoyed. And with something, you know, that I I didn't know when she was doing this is because we were looking at two and four year programs for her as well. And we went to, you know, some family friends that have a jewelry store we asked one other jeweler, you know, would you prefer this two or four year program or this GIA certification? And all of them just said, I don't know what that I don't know what this two or four year program is, but I know what GIA like GIA is who appraises they, pretty much every dime, not every, not diamond. every diamond. You have to send it to them to be that um, they came up with the three C's for diamonds and how they're graded. And so if you have a stone with a GIA certificate, it's really good. <laughs> usually there are other laboratories in the world, but GIA is regarded as the best. Well, we love sharing actuals and tangible tips. So can you shed some light on what someone can expect to earn after, you know, earning the six month certification as a gemologist? Because you could really avoid a lot of debt that you might experience going through these typical four year college programs. Well, I went the retail route where you could go more the appraising route. Um, so that would be I, I'm not certain on that. But and we also were living in New York. Yeah, it's hard to tell because she right out of the program was making 50 or 55,000 mm-hmm. a year, but it was New York City. So unfortunately, I don't know what they pay at their other locations, but it paid her well. It, yeah. And I had two job offers right out. Right? We were kind of going back and forth. Should we stay in New York or should we come back home to Florida? But I right off the bat was offered two jobs. And so we thought, let's stay here for a while. And so we'd stay there for three years. You know, that's still really great information because it's yet another way to earn a solid income without going to school for four years. You know, that might cost you $200,000. And even beyond that, it opens up the door to start earning it at such a young age. So with the time and the cost savings, you get a real head start towards financial independence. 
And I think that I think that applies to a lot of things. You could go get certified as a welder or certified as, you know, actually, we have a video on that (laughs) on going the more trade school route than the four year degree route. Yeah, no, I've heard a lot of debate and it does make a lot of sense because you can just really kickstart your financial path if you start making money at 18. If you're an electrician, a plumber, you're making 75, 80K, which isn't unreasonable out of college and you're pocketing 50 plus percent of that. I mean, you are well on your way to financial freedom. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So I kind of want to, I'm trying to keep up with the timeline here. So Mike, you started that did you join or did you start that cleaning business? Started that cleaning company with a friend in college. So let's go timeline. So <laughs> 2000, timeline. yeah, 2006, went to school. 2007, started the business. 2009, went to New York City. 2011, came back. So the business, the cleaning business was before going to New York. And the cleaning business, we just kind of wound down. We had a big contract. It was like a multiple six-figure contract that, you know, for the cleaning company, we started with a bunch of small companies. I think I was making, you know, 40000 a year or so for that. And then landed a big, big contract that was, I think, 250000 a year. Quickly had to hire 10 people, maybe 14. You know, again, my memory is not so great. But And then that was a two-year contract. And then after that, they decided to hire in-house after they saw how we did it with our 14 employees. And then after that, we moved up to New York City and then Lauren did her thing. So I kind of did my thing for a few years. And now then we went up there and she well, did her and thing. And when we moved up there, you got into production, which yes. I think was really yes. good for you. Yeah. So I worked for a marketing company up there doing what they call, you can't see my air quotes, but it's experiential marketing <laughs> uh, where you just build sets and uh, attractions, I guess you would say. Super interesting things. Like one was a quicksand thing that went around to different concerts. So I traveled the country and every city that I went to, I had to to source somehow two tons of cornstarch to mix with water. And then we had this big pool. And when you mix cornstarch and water, I don't know if you've ever seen the YouTube videos, but it makes like this quicksand. So we would go around to concerts and we'd set up this quicksand thing. And I think, what was the brand for that? Was that Dos Equis? That was Dos Equis. Yeah. So for whatever reason, Dos Equis, oh, because they did the whole most interesting Mm. man in the world type thing. So they just wanted you know, interesting things at concerts to bring awareness to their name or whatever. Okay, cool. So yeah, sorry, sidetrack, huge (laughs) sidetrack, but we're going down memory lane now. (laughs) Hey, no problem, man. But I do want to get a little more into the weeds for the listeners on this cleaning business. Like, how did you source employees, work the contracts, model this business? Because that would certainly seem overwhelming to most college students. Uh, It's just trial and error. And, you know, the biggest thing is just putting yourself out there. You have to be willing to go door to door and hear no a bunch of times. I think, I mean, that's, that's the hardest part is, uh, people have to know you have a business and to do that, you have to tell them. And when you tell them, they're probably going to say, okay, not interested. Uh, And if you can put up with that, then you're probably suited for entrepreneurship. Okay. Okay. Well, I just wanted to touch on that a little more because I think sometimes you hear of someone, you know, starting a six figure business, but it's just kind of mentioned and glossed over and you're left wondering, Hey, how'd they do that? Yeah. So for the six figure part, you know, a lot of it is who, you know, so for that one, that was a a friend. Mm-hmm. So the friend that I started the business, his fiance's Family. mom mm-hmm. was a nurse <laughs> at the clinic that was at the church. So, you know, it wasn't exactly here's the contract, you know, just because we know you, you sign. But again, just putting yourself out there, hey, we have a cleaning company and then the word gets around and, you know, they weren't happy with their last company. His fiance's mom mentioned and then we got the call and then it's just about uh, again you know and speaking of you know how did you do that and you know how did you know what to do we didn't we initially bid that contract at ten thousand a month or something 
realized immediately after we could not, you know, fulfill that contract for that price and actually upped it to 24000 a month, I think. And, and they said, okay. And they said, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I guess that would be a tip. You don't need to know what you're doing. Either you lose it or you make it. <laughs> I mean, if they would have said no, we'd have to move on. And they said, yes. So I guess it just comes back to putting yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable to embarrassment and no's. Yeah. I've definitely had a lot of that in my businesses because I started a disc golf company back when I was in college as well. And I mean, we made every mistake in the book. Like I'm sure you guys know as entrepreneurs, every possible thing that can go wrong will go wrong. It's <laughs> yep. Murphy's yes. law. Yeah, And exactly. it, it sucks. I mean, you get so depressed, you're so down, but then you just keep chugging, keep chugging. And eventually it usually turns out okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the only way to learn it. If you, I mean, where else are you going to learn it if not from your mistakes? Exactly. All right. So I'm going to hop back into the second part of your timeline where you went into production. So that's when you moved to New York and you said you were there from 2009 to 2011, correct? Yeah, we moved back the very, I think even. January 1st, Yeah, January 1st, 2012. So we were there for three years. Okay. And how old were you guys then? Because it seems like you were done with school. You did the gemology. Was it gemology? Yes, gemology. (laughs) You were done with that. Mike had dropped out. He did the cleaning business, but then he dissolved that, got into production. So Mike, you were doing production in New York. What were you doing, Lauren? Uh, I I did school for the first six months, and then I worked at Saks Fifth Avenue on Fifth Avenue for just over a year. And then I was at Saks, or I'm sorry, I was at Tiffany's for just over a year also. Cool. And then, so what kind of spurred you guys to leave New York? Did you not like the lifestyle? Was it just a little too much, too crowded? We loved it. We really loved everything about New York. We had um, a 286 square foot apartment, studio apartment in the city. And we really loved, I'd love to go back now, but it was just, it was the winter where I'm from Florida. Mike uh, has lived here most of his life now. And it was just too cold. And all of our families here in Florida, where we're from. So it was just kind of time to come back home. We actually both had um, jobs waiting for us when we got back. And so it was just time time. to move on. Yeah. But you'll find, a. I think, you know, depending on how far we go in our timeline, we seem to get bored about every three to four years and move on to something else. So that just was (laughs) at that point, that was our three year mark and we moved on. All right, Lauren, I got to get you to step back on something you said real quick. So how did you just have jobs waiting on you in Florida? Well, mine was with the church doing the production, not the experiential marketing side of things, but the lighting and video and uh, camera work for a church here that we had gone to as kids. And then yours, I, um, how did we find you? The uh, family friend we talked about asking for the school that I went to, the GIA, they were looking to hire someone in the new building that they just moved into. So I, I worked at their jewelry store for uh yeah, Four so, years. so that actually kind of worked out. Now thinking back on it, that the person who recommended getting certified is the one who then who hired, hired me. me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. And so, Mike, did you also work there for a similar timeline? Like, were you, you guys were there for four years doing your thing? Yeah, yep. Actually, yes, because we I worked at the jewelry store for four years and then quit because we we're having our first son. And Mike quit to go full-time on YouTube and online. So we both went four years and then we were done. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I love that. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> that's something that you get congratulated for in this community. So yeah. yes. now we're in 2016, and that's when you have your first son. Yes. And so, Lauren, you you quit your job, and Mike, you, you go full-time YouTubing. Obviously, you have the skills now. You have the lighting, video, camera experience. Yep, but exactly. But did you have any side revenue coming in, or did you just jump in and hope for the best? No, we just jumped in. At that point, I think I just we just did a video about our income. I think our income the year before was 20000 uh, and I just knew if I could give my full focus to it because I was working full time five days a week 
And then on weekends, we were doing our YouTube videos. So I was doing five days at the church and then two days a week making videos. And I was just looking at the, you know, the growth of the channel and realizing, you know, it's not, it, it was a bit of a gamble, but if we continued on the path we were, we would be fine. And so then the next following year, we, our income jumped from 20000 a year, full-time YouTube to 68000 a year. Now, did you start this YouTube channel as just a hobby or did you go in fully focused on monetization? So, yeah, we don't exactly have the story like, oh my gosh, we had no idea you could make money on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> but that was not, it was not our intention. We had started originally with our, our travels in Europe in 2012. Did we? 2013. 2013, yeah. We were really just doing it so that our family could see where we were on our backpacking trip. Yeah, but I was aware that a YouTube could be monetized and that travel videos did well. So we were monetized from the beginning, but there was not uh, the intention of making it a full-time thing. And so is that the two and a half month trip you're referring to in Europe? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've watched those videos. Those are awesome. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. And so could you just dive into that a little bit more? Because I think you spent something like $10,000 for the entirety, including flights, accommodation, food, everything, right? Yes. Exactly. Uh, yep. And that's actually... That was our big moment, our big realization. When we got back home, everyone was saying, how did you do that? How did you afford to go on a two and a half month trip? And we both kind of just left our job saying, okay, we're doing this. And if you have a spot for us when we get back, fantastic. And if not, okay, we'll figure something out. And people just kept asking, how do you do that? How did you do that? And that was when we dove into the financial videos on YouTube. And so to answer your question about how we did the 10,000 in Europe, we did the transatlantic over. So we, I don't know if a you're transatlantic cruise. I'm sorry. Yeah. Transatlantic cruise. So cruise ships need to reposition every year from the uh, North America to Europe. And so that cruise cost us $500 for the both of us. No, it was $500. Was each. it each? Yes. $500 each for a 14 day cruise. Okay. That makes more sure. sense. <laughs> yeah. It was five hundred dollars. Are you sure? I'm very sure. Yes. Anyways, uh, and then our flights back were, you know, those just were three hundred dollars. Yes. Oh, that's what's caught. Oh my gosh. So you're bringing up all kinds of memories. So how we picked our dates was it was I don't know if it was a glitch or just a good price, but yeah, the price the flights back were three hundred dollars, and then uh, we picked the cruise over, and then it's just staying in hostels and Airbnbs at the time. I mean, it's obvious now. Yeah, stay at Airbnbs. But in 2013, we created our account when we got over there. Yeah. We're like, oh, this Airbnb thing. Let's yeah. try it out. Yeah. And our family, you know, was definitely nervous about <laughs> us staying with strangers in Europe. Uh, whereas now it's, you know, pretty common. Not that Airbnb was not around for, you know, four or five years no, at that we point. we were not. That but we just early. were not keen to it. And yeah, so just not staying at hotels. Uh, we didn't eat out a ton. If we did, it was at lunch. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was cheaper than dinner times. And... Yeah, we went to a couple cheaper locations. Like, you know, Eastern Europe is much cheaper than Western Europe. Uh, so we made sure to spend some time over there. That was about it. Definitely jealous of that trip. And that's a great press already. But, you know, was travel hacking a thing at this point? I mean, was that even something on your radar? I don't know. I wasn't aware of it. If it was, I'm sure it was. But so we are into that now. But that trip, we did not do any travel hacking for that trip. No. That's, so that's even more impressive. I mean... $10,000 without any travel hacking because yeah. now knowing what you know now you could probably get an Airbnb off of one credit card sign up bonus for a month. Right. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's this crazy. Point, I think we have, you know, almost uh, 600,000 points waiting for us for our next trip. Yeah, and it's insane. I went to Australia for five months and I almost got it was so close to two full months of accommodation on just the Capital One Venture bonus, wow. which was insane. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Because it was like $10 a night or 10 to $12 a night Airbnbs and 
you just wipe it out with any travel expense on that card. So I have like wow. 56,000 points and every night is only like 1,200, 1,000 points. <laughs> it was crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. We're trying to save our points now. We want to do Japan in 2020 and possibly do the Olympics, but that's in the future some point. <laughs> Who knows with the kids <laughs> if we even want to bother with that. Okay. Yeah. So that's where I was going to move to next. So when you had your son, your first son, I'm sure that definitely kind of changed things. You maybe couldn't be as dynamic moving around or maybe you could, I don't know, but I've heard that's a limiting belief in the financial independence and travel space that just having kids, oh, now I can't go to Europe for X number of weeks. Now I can't travel the world. How have you found that? Uh, to not be true necessarily. We did um, a lot of RVing with our son when he was about eight months old. And then when he was 14 months old, we went back to Europe for another backpacking trip. And how long were we gone for that time? I think seven weeks. So not as long as our first trip, but he did great. Now, right now, currently he's two and a half and we're kind of in the terrible twos going, oh, I don't know if we want to spend that much time with you right at this moment. So our next trip is a little bit, it's um, not till the spring. But I, he really does great. You know, he knows where he's going to go to sleep and we've got a routine for him. And he just loves waking up and spending time with us. So that's, I think, the big thing for us with traveling is that we get to spend more time with him. And that's really what he cares most about. And do you have any travel tips when you do have little ones tagging along, like any kind of discounts or freebies you should look out for? Uh, not really in that sense, but just much slower. Uh, our, yes, our original, slower. our original Europe trip, we, we moved about every two or three days. Uh, we will not consider moving less than a week at a time at this point. No, just definitely, which I think we would want to do either way yeah. to spend, you know, a couple weeks someplace, but yeah, you got to move a lot because the travel days are just so much trickier. You have extra things, even though you're trying not to, it's just a lot more mm -hmm. to move. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Okay, so we're in 2016 now when your son – it's Hudson, right? The first yes, born? Hudson, yeah, Hudson, yeah. He was born in February 2016. Okay, 2016. And so at that point, you were full-time online YouTubing, Mike. Yep. Lauren, are you just stay-at-home taking care of Hudson yes. at that point? Yep, I was home with Hudson. And so what did the next two years look like? We found online courses. Yeah, so we started our – we created three courses, our mm -hmm. YouTube masterclass, our – Fusion 360 course, and we did a personal finance course. Uh, and we found that the income from that was far more consistent and, you know, just much easier. Not easier in the in the beginning. It's a lot more work, you know, to create 60 or 80 videos all at once rather than spread out over the year. But uh, once they're done, once they're, they're done, done. <laughs> yeah, it's very passive income for us. So that's kind of where we're moving forward. I'm working on now a um, started the I think we're going to we're going to call it the paid off car club. So one thing I would consider myself an expert at would be buying and selling cars. I've been doing it since since college, actually. And so for people who want to, you know, how to pay cash for a quality used car, I've got a guide that I'm working on for that. And so 2016, 2018, we started those three courses. We, you know, two months out of for each kid, we are in Costa Rica. So we actually gave birth to both of our kids in Costa Rica. And then what else did we do those two years? We did go on a, that, our RV trip. Yes. So we went on the RV trip did the three video courses, and then had our two kids in Costa Rica. Wow. All right. There's so many things to dive into here. <laughs> I'm really not sure what direction I want to go. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'll do the video courses because that's what you talked about first. And I am huge into like building something first and then just riding the passive income wave, yeah. like yeah. front-loading the work. You can grind for hours and hours and hours, but once you have that finished product, it's just gravy from there. And yeah. Maybe you have to tweak it every year or so if there's changes in the market, but pretty much you can kind of stick with the same material. Yep. So exactly. 
Something I was curious about, I mean, just looking at all of your YouTube videos, Mike, I know you said you bought and sold used cars. Did you do a lot of the fixing up yourself? Because you seem to be quite handy from the... Yeah, yeah, that for sure uh, I do. Amalgamation of videos on your blog. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I've always just done everything myself and just, you know, whatever comes up, just try it. There's, you know, plenty of information online of how to do it yourself and eventually you start collecting all the tools and the know-how to then just start tackling anything. So it's kind of this compounding effect uh, that in the beginning you may even lose money DIYing stuff yourself because you make mistakes and you have to buy new parts and that wasn't it. But you know, eventually get to the point where you just can't help but save money. It's just so much cheaper to do things yourself. It's crazy. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's super inspiring too because I think something that sets you guys apart from just 99% of the population is you're not afraid to fail. And people are so scared of failure and they think that failure is the worst thing ever. Everyone's going to hate them, think they're a loser, but failure builds you up. Like failure is where you gain the most valuable skills and how you can become better than the next guy. Right. right. So if I can just take us back a tangent or two, were the births abroad intentional to simply save money and were you looking for dual citizenship? You know, what was the reasoning? No, 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 no. It was intentional. Yeah, we're, no, we're... I don't want I don't know if I want to get dramatic and say we're disgusted with American healthcare or US healthcare system but we will do anything to avoid it pretty much. And um so yeah, we intentionally went to Costa Rica. We just loved the fact that go ahead well, Lawrence, sorry, Lawrence I, holding I, up her finger to we me. Also, <laughs> um it started on our first backpacking trip too. We thought how neat it would be to give our eventual children dual citizenship. So that was always a bug in our head. Right. But yes, it was the healthcare that really kicked us to go down there so at the time we had insurance but we called the insurance company to ask you know how much is it going to cost and the answer we got was basically it's what it costs what it costs no matter who we called that's the answer we got when we called costa rica they emailed us basically a menu of (laughs) if you do this it's a breakdown of everything yeah uh if you have a c-section it costs this much extra if there's this complication it costs this much extra and then so it was a bit of a gamble going down. We had, you know, there was two or three people we had found who had done it before. Not that I had done it before, but so um, documented like, it yes. before, before us. Uh, and we just lucked out. The quality of care was so much better than we could get here. The price was so much cheaper than we could get here. And they got dual citizenship. And we fell in love with Costa Rica. It and was just, we got permanent residency. Yeah. Oh, we're also now permanent that. residents of Costa Rica and they're dual citizens. Oh, wow. That's really cool. You guys are just hacking the game in every direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're banging on all cylinders. That's right. Okay. To follow up on that, healthcare is such a big topic in the financial independence space because, you know, a lot of people are scared to quit their jobs over healthcare fears. So before you had the first child, Hudson, what type of coverage did you have? Was it a health share, health ministry, just a super high deductible? You know, what was it? It was the, I don't remember the exact, I don't know when ACA came into effect, but before ACA, we had high deductible and HSA after you have the ACA. And, you know, as an early retiree, the Affordable Care Act, you couldn't ask for anything better, really, because you can control your income. So, you know, you can look at it ethically or morally, however you want, but you can say, you know, the best subsidy is at 32000 a year. And that's your income for that year. That's what you draw. And then you, you get the subsidies for the health care. So it, I don't see it as a big issue for early retirees at all. But with all the uncertainty around the Affordable Care Act, I mean, how do you see your plans going for 2019 and beyond? Yeah. So, again, if, you know, something with Affordable Care Act were to be repealed, then we would go back to the high deductible plan, which I would prefer. Honestly, I don't I don't like the way it works right now. 
Uh, but we'll go back to HSA with a high deductible plan. And because we're permanent residents of Costa Rica, we pay into their socialized medicine system. We pay $50 a month for that as a fallback to our fallback plan. If anything ever happened, we just go to Costa Rica and we're 100% covered uh, by universal health care. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, just hearing that makes me think about how flawed our system is. You pay 50 bucks a month yes. for universal health care. I mean, that's just insane. And their private health care there is still cheaper than what we yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, so we should mention We that. delivered at a private hospital down yeah, there. Yeah, we did not use their public system We just because we didn't know at the time there was a – well, we knew. But the private system, you just pay out of pocket. You don't even need health insurance. Anyone can go to Costa Rica and use the private and system. it's still cheaper there than it would have been for us here with Then our deductible here – with insurance. Yeah. That is definitely some actionable tips. I'm sure people are going to, ears are going to perk up when they hear that because this is something that everyone can do. Their biggest thing in Costa Rica is dental dental work for sure. If you have any kind of dental work, there is no, your flights, you can fly vacation and get all your work done in Costa Rica for far cheaper, uh, probably 25%, eh, 50% with the flights of what you pay here. If you're travel hacking the flights, then (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep. Even less. Wow. Okay. For better care. I can't stress that enough. People think, okay, but yes. We were not sacrificing anything. No, we got better care in Costa Rica than we can get here. And so the last piece, I'm jumping way back to that tangent, but (laughs) I really want to talk about your RV trip because you had some really cool videos that came out of that. And I just love to hear the experience, especially traveling with some youngsters. (laughs) Yeah. So actually more to come on that. So yeah, it's our first podcast after retirement. So you are the first to hear of our upcoming plans. So we did a what was going to be a longer term, but ended up just being a 30-day trip in an RV to kind of meet our fans and build things with them. And that was going to be, kind of be the direction of the YouTube channel. We called it Makers on the Move. And long story short, it, it, we just so logistically worked some things out that didn't work. We had a 24-foot trailer, a mobile workshop behind us. Behind a 40-foot RV. So we were... 40-foot RV and then a 24-foot trailer. We're just about as long as a semi trying to get in and out of neighborhoods to help people with their DIY projects. (laughs) Uh, And so that, you know, surprisingly didn't work out for us, but we still loved it. We loved every minute of it. So especially uh, with kids, it's so easy to travel in an RV or camper with kids because you don't have to unpack anything. It's all right there. It's fantastic. They get their consistency, but you also get the travel aspect. So moving forward, we're actually about 90% of the way through getting our RV dealer's license. And so we are going to buy and sell RVs as we travel and then just sell them to our audience. So we know, you know, after trying to go through that RV buying process, we know there's so many shady dealers that uh, will basically cover up any problems they can in any way they can just to get the thing off the lot. We are thinking, well, if you could buy an RV and know that there's no problems and also know that someone you trust has taken it on a two or three month trip and basically given it a shakedown. That's how the idea came about. Who knows if this is going to work, but we're just about got our RV dealer license. We'll buy an RV, travel in it for a few months, making videos, and then say, okay, this RV is now for sale. We've given it the rundown. We know everything works on it perfectly. If anyone's interested, let us know. It really just gives Mike the excuse to buy whatever he wants for a hot second (laughs) and then be done with it. Yeah, exactly. But hey, they can't argue if you, you could even have a video of you repairing it. And so they know it's fixed. (laughs) Exactly. That's, that's the plan is, uh, you know, I don't quite know how buying older ones and fixing them up and you see all the repair videos or just buying newer ones and knowing you're not getting any issues is going to work better. But uh, yeah, the, the plan is to buy something older and even just modernize it. RVs are so notorious for being outdated and, you know, you paint the cabinets and you put some new upholstery in, 
and suddenly they look more modern and you make a video series about all that work. You, you got it exactly right. So a question I have from your blog is you had this goal to retire at 30. And I'm guessing is that you, Lauren, that was going to be 30? Because, Mike, are you 31 right now? It was by no, yeah, it was by 30. 30. Yeah. So I was 30 years old when we retired. By uh, a week. By a week. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was strictly arbitrary. And of course, it didn't really matter. But we did really try and get that closing of that loan before my 31st birthday. Just And we made it by what? Like three days? Four days? Yeah. Something. It was pretty close. Close call. It has a uh, nice ring to it. Retired yeah. at 30 sounds a lot cooler <laughs> than retired at 31. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and oh. then of course there's the, we could talk for hours and hours about what does retired mean? Does having a blog and an RV dealership and an online course <laughs> business mean retired? But to us it does. So yeah. yeah, no, I'm with you there. There's definitely people on the other side who are gonna comment and say, "Oh, he's not retired." But yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but to me, retired is you have the freedom to do what you want exactly. when you want. Like exactly. If you wanted to, you guys could go for a year trip. Like you'd go travel right. around yeah. Southeast Asia if you wanted to. You don't need the money. Yep, exactly. But and you we, want to, all those things you're... we're doing are the yeah. things we want to do. Mm-hmm. Any of those businesses, we could just shut down at any point and not, you know, suffer anything financially. And so are you retired by the traditional like nest egg and 4% rule standards or more from a cash flow perspective? Absolutely cash flow. We bought a uh, 12,000 square foot warehouse in our home city. So our actual net worth, if we were to sell that, very conservatively, it would be closer to five or six hundred thousand at market value right now. I know we're kind of at like the peak of the market. Would be closer to seven fifty or eight hundred thousand. But the cash flow per month, very conservatively, is around three thousand to thirty five hundred a month, which is more than we need to live. So yeah, we kind of did a little different. We leveraged our, you know, net worth of five hundred thousand into something more like a million by buying real estate. Well, I feel like you know we see a lot of real estate stuff on here, but we don't see a lot of industrial real estate transaction. So how does that work? Do you still require the same 20% down or is it completely different? I mean, what does the lending look like? Uh, no, it's a very similar process. We had been looking for a couple years, just single family homes, just to try and start building a portfolio. And those all fell through. But the warehouse I actually rented as a tenant. I needed a workshop for the YouTube business. And I noticed the building was in disrepair. So I called the owner. And ultimately, we ended up owner financing with 100000 down and a $480,000 purchase price. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, yeah, having that cash on hand was essential. But realistically, we could have retired on $100,000 if we had put that 100000 down and then, and then bought the warehouse as it was. So, yeah, owner financing. I'm a huge proponent at this point of owner financing and, in fact, put in an offer last week on another warehouse owner financed just because it gives you the ability to buy something that a bank would normally not approve improve that property for a year or two and then the bank will approve it so the building we're you know looking at purchasing again a new one also in disrepair has no tenants so no bank would ever touch it but if the owner will finance it i'll fix it up we'll put in you know good tenants it'll show good income stream and then a bank will refinance it and then all of a sudden you're in a traditional you know real estate investment without needing to have millions of cash on hand and so did you DIY everything or were you contracting out some of the work? You did most of it. I did most of it. I did contract out the electrical and the plumbing, which is, oh my gosh, just another reason. Get, get into the trades, people. Oh my gosh. These people were there for six hours and it was $1,300 for the plumbing. Although with uh, the electrician, he ended up becoming a, a tenant. A tenant yeah, now. So that worked out. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. so. Uh, so we worked out, yeah, worked that out. 
but yeah, so most of the cosmetic stuff I did myself and then the plumbing electrical I had subbed out. And then there was fire damage in one of the units, which required permitting that I have a friend who's a contractor and he knew an engineer. So yeah, it kind of a mix of both. Awesome, guys. Well, if the audience wants to get in touch with you, where's the best place they can reach you at? Well, our YouTube channel is Mike and Lauren, or you can go to our blog, MikeandLauren.com. And then if you want to email, hello at MikeandLauren.com. Awesome. All right. So you did not prepare for this next question. I did not prepare for this next question. This is the wild card question. <laughs> wild card. <laughs> <laughs> so you better be worried. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. What is your biggest DIY fail? Ooh. That's a good question. DIY fail. Um, big. Don't, don't tell me you don't have any because that's no. Why. I definitely have. <laughs> I'm trying to decide the ones that make me the most frustrated or the most expensive. The frustrating one. I tried to change a tire on a scooter once and I bent the rim all up. And so trying to save myself thirty dollars to change this tire, I ended up bending the rim and it cost me. I had to buy a new rim and a new tire and have the company put the tire on. <laughs> uh, so that was a pretty good one. You you know my oh, failures no. better than I do. Oh, this is hard. I sent fifteen hundred dollars to Africa. He for did use, do that. That was right oil. before our wedding. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He didn't get the oil. <laughs> Long story. I was. It was not a traditional African scam where they email you. Uh-huh. I actually sought a company out. So uh, we'll go into it real quick. High oil prices in like two thousand six. Gas prices were skyrocketing. Went into the waste vegetable oil business and actually succeeded in that pretty well. But I was like, I got to get more hands on this stuff. Can't get enough of it here locally. So I found a company that sells it in Africa, wired the money to them. Turns out there is a legitimate company called, I think it was like Atlas Green or something like that, that sells waste vegetable oil. But a scammer had set up an identical website to scrape people's information. And I happened to fall on that website. So we lost that $1,500. (laughs) I like that story. Might not have been DIY, but it's a good one. (laughs) No, yeah, that's about... All I can think of as far as failures go. I mean, I know you had some. It's all right. No, hey, those are good. I like (laughs) like those answers. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, thanks again so much for coming on. You guys just have such an amazing and inspiring story. I mean, retire by 30, that sounds like a fantasy to most people. And you guys are living it and documenting it on YouTube. So thanks again so much for coming on. We had a great time with you today. Thank thank you you for having us. Yeah, it was really great. Man, Justin, this is just your textbook awesome entrepreneur couple. I mean, these guys can do anything. Just from the very beginning, they had no fear going into a new project. And when they wanted to do something, they went out and tried it. And I think that is really something that all of our listeners and you and I as well can really take to heart and implement into our own lives. Yeah, I mean, they retired at 30, but along the way, they never had a typical desk job. And that's one of the things I love about not only this podcast, but just the financial independent space in general, is you're always figuring out some weird new way to make money. I mean, whoever thought about being a gemologist? Yeah, I didn't even know what a gemologist was before this podcast started. And just something that they highlight is there's so many possibilities out there. I mean, Mike and Lauren are making money in 10 different ways at any given time. I mean, the guy started a cleaning business in his junior year of college or sophomore year of college. Who does that? And who scales that up to a point where they're making multiple six figures in revenue? Just absolutely insane. I actually think it might be more remarkable that someone was actually cleaning when they were in college. I mean, what's up with that? (laughs) Yeah, you should have seen my house, Justin. It was called the Chum Bucket. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so not only have they got these really cool jobs and that sort of thing going on, but the other thing you see or you don't see is many excuses. I mean, these guys are killing all the limiting beliefs. 
whether it be that you have to be a software engineer or you have to be, you know, work your way up some ladder or, you know, these people love to do a lot of traveling. They have two kids. Did they stop traveling? No. Sure. They made some adjustments and some compromises and maybe they don't bounce from city to city quite like they used to, but they didn't stop. And so I think that's another awesome thing you get from them is that there's always a way around whatever your limiting belief is. And then the medical tourism too. I feel like that was just such another cool life hack that these guys did that most normal people wouldn't think of. Like who goes and gives birth in Costa Rica, gets the dual citizenship thing, takes advantage of another country's cheaper and in their opinion, more effective and efficient healthcare. I mean, they're just optimizers across the board. Yeah, a lot of people will see that like, hey, I went to this country to have some kind of work done and they're immediately thinking, oh man, you're rolling the dice. Like you're just doing that to save some money, but they will take you straight up the main reason they done it was for better care. So it's it's easy to just assume that what everybody else is doing is the correct way or the better way, but you got to push those beliefs. And another thing that... Whoa! Is, is that the call to action? <laughs> I think so, Justin. And this week's call to action, we had a lot of trouble pinpointing one call to action because like we just mentioned, I mean, these guys are optimizing every facet of their life. So there's so many good little tidbits from this episode but our biggest takeaway and something that they really highlighted is just all the different ways to make money. And something that they really capitalized on was if you have a passion, if you have something that you're good at, figure out the best way to capitalize and make money on that thing. I mean, they started making DIY YouTube videos and they knew they could maybe make a little bit of money on ad revenue, get some followers and stuff like that. But they never imagined that they'd be bringing in five-figure incomes every month from these videos that they were creating. And I can almost guarantee you their first video wasn't perfect. You know, maybe it was a shaky quality. Maybe it wasn't the best DIY project, but just getting started and understanding that they have skills, they have things that other people want to learn from them. Just go out and at least try to make some money with your existing passions or skills. That is this week's call to action. And we really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, but we can never cover everything. So if you want to keep up with Mike and Lauren in the future, get their contact information or just get any of the links to something they talked about today, you can find those at the show notes at thefyshow.com slash Mike and Lauren. Also, we're doing something new this year. We're setting up New Year's resolutions and we're tracking them and we're letting you track ours and we're hoping you'll let us track yours with you so we can motivate each other. And that's all taking place in our Facebook group at thefyshow.com slash community. Thanks, guys. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.